Before I pray, I want to share the beginnings of this. Uh, last week, we're in Luke chapter 17. Last week, we were in verses 1 through 4. And uh, let me just click to it real quick. Verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 and 2 about stumbling blocks. And I shared some examples of that last week. I gave three specific examples of things that creep up in, in the world that we live in that stumble people up. They mess people up. They, they trip people up. Three stumbling blocks. And then I got to verses 3 and 4, uh, which are about how the Christian community is to dynamically respond to those things. And there were specifically, it was a twofold response. It was rebuke and forgive, right? Rebuke and forgive. And I mentioned, I said, man, that, that is, what a difficult thing that is. In fact, I'm going to end with verse 4 because Jesus, after he said rebuke and then he said forgive, he goes into verse 4, which says this, and, which I think maybe in a church, even though I think on one hand it's a lot harder to get the rebuking right, knowing how to rebuke, because that's a challenging thing, is it not? I mean, how to rebuke, when to rebuke, all those things. But I think maybe because that's such a challenging thing, you're going to see a whole lot more of the other thing than this thing. You're going to see some rebuking, but even when it goes right, you're going to have to have some of the other thing. And there's going to be, since there's some going to be bad rebuking, you're going to have to have some more of the second thing, which is the forgiving. And then I ended with this, verse 4. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. It's got to happen in the Christian community. Rebuking and a whole lot of forgiving. <laughs> okay? I said then, after I got done with that, I said, man, that's such a challenging thing. And then I, I said, remember that quote that I built up? Do you guys remember that? For those of you who heard last week, I built up this quote. I was like, oh, man, I've got this amazing quote. I built that for you. So I was like, i got to make sure it's in there this week because I'm going to start with that. And so that quote for you. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh, man. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Sorry. Here it is. The call to rebuke is the exercise of a familial family responsibility. The call to rebuke is a familial responsibility. The assumption in all of this is that disciples have a certain quality in their relationships that allows. You see... I love that allows word thrown in there. I mean, when you attach yourself to a Christian community, for it to function well, there's a certain allowing that you're going to have. Let's be honest. We're a small church. In bigger churches, this can be more challenging. But frankly, sometimes it can be easier because how many times you have a big church, you don't have to interact with people. They don't even know what you're doing. But in every situation, in every true Christian community, this must be present. And if you pop in, pop out, and you don't want to make a connection to this degree, you're missing out. It's my biggest argument. You're missing out. But a good, true, real Christian community is one that allows this type of positive, honest, loving, confronting behavior to occur without destroying relationships. Do you feel and sense the weight of all of that on you? Can you feel and say, I mean, to be rebuked. Anybody in here just goes, I, lo I love being rebuked. It's my favorite. Anybody in here like being rebuked? You like it when people call you out on this stuff? You're like, I'm in there. Joe, that is not true. I know it's not true. Very few people just love being rebuked. It's hard to be rebuked. It's hard, especially if you think you're right. When you think you're right and somebody goes, I think you're wrong, and you're like, I think I'm right. Is that easy? Is it easy to get to the point where you admit you're wrong? If you're really wrong, is it easy to admit? Is it easy to admit if you're rebuking someone to find out that you actually shouldn't have been doing the rebuking? Is that easy to admit that? No. This is challenging. I mean, how do we do this? I mean, I'm plagued by this, 
Like, how do we do this? I mean, as the pastors of this church, like, we're trying to guide a group of people into this kind of relationship. How in the world are we going to do that? I can understand why the disciples, or as Luke calls them in this passage, he's, Luke's the only one that calls them apostles. He calls them apostles here, and he says, and the apostles said, can you understand this response after hearing that last thing? I picture in my mind after hearing this, hey, this is the kind of community you got to be in. I picture, like I said last week, I picture it's probably Peter kind of voices. You can see it. They were probably talking amongst themselves, you know, John and Peter's like, I don't know how are we going to do that. Well, what? How are we going to do that? I mean, how? I know you can't do it, Peter. So, I mean, how can we? And I, but I picture Peter at this point going, actually, Peter probably wouldn't have raised his hand. He probably would have blurted it. Lord, I, I'm going to need some more faith. <laughs> I'm going to need a whole lot more faith if I'm supposed to do that. So what we're going to look at today is Jesus' response to this statement on behalf of the apostles. Whichever one said, we don't know. Increase our faith. So before I go any further, let's take a moment and pray that God will clarify his response to this. Can we pray for that together? Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, I would ask now that as we look at your word and we look at this story that Luke has shared with us and we look at the disciples or the apostles in this case as they're called response, Lord, I have the same question. Lord, is, is that what we need? We need more of that. Lord, I ask that you would guide us through an understanding of what your word teaches. Lord, so that we may live out that kind of Christian community. Lord, it's, it's taught to us other places. It's by our love of one another that the world will see the truth of your word. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's pick this apart. Now, I'm going to tell you before I go any further, this morning at 6.38 a.m., precisely, 6.37, I looked back up at 6.38, right when this moment happened, I checked the clock because I was like, oh, great. I got to a point this morning, and I went, oh, no, two things happened at 6.37 to 6.38. One, my sermon split into two parts, like an amoeba that was bloated, it went bloop, right? Two parts. So I had the sermon, it's all one, and it's split into two parts. So we're only going to cover verses five and six today. The other thing that happened in connection with the bloop of my sermon was I went, wait a minute, something doesn't make sense here. Now, for those of you that are not preachers or pastors, that's a terrible feeling when it's the morning of preaching and you suddenly realize there's a point in your sermon that doesn't make sense to you. Right? Like, hold up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you on a little journey of biblical text to help you understand the confusion. Now, I don't feel too bad because as I started researching this morning, like, wait, this little confusing piece, I found another pastor who said, this is very confusing. And I went, okay, I'm not the only one. That's good. But he, he, had a, he didn't really answer it, so that wasn't good. But let's, let's dig in. Ready? Uh, hopefully, so what I want to do first is help you to see the confusing element, and then I'm going to lead you to an I think moment. Can I do that as well? Here's the confusing piece. Baffling is the way this other pastor called it. It's baffling. That's baffling. I'm going to tell you how it's baffling. So I want to confuse you first and then help you understand, right? Some of you probably don't like that. You like, don't do the confusing part, man. Just get to the Listen, I know you're hungry, but we're going to do that part first, okay? Baffling first. So let's focus, first of all, on this statement here, increase our faith. Now, that word increase, the word that's translated increase, means added to it. It doesn't make, mean make it bigger. It means add to it. In fact, we've seen this work. Luke, one of the great things to do is to see how the same author uses that same word in other places. Let me give you two examples. Uh, Luke 12, 25 
Uh, Jesus is teaching. This is Luke writing that. Both these out are Luke 12, so I picked two that were recent. Uh, Luke 12, 25, which of you by being anxious can add, there's that same Greek word that we see increase, add a single hour to a span of life. More hours, increase the hours, right? Add to the hours. I have this many hours, give me more hours. So this adding to is not just a make bigger, it's make more of, okay? Second thing says this, uh, same chapter, Jesus is teaching, he says it again, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So in fact, most of the times that you see that word that's translated increase, it's usually translated add, add to, add to this thing, okay? So this is the first thing. That's a great clue to understanding what Jesus is going to say next. When they say increase our faith, they're saying we got this much of it, give us some more, right? Okay. This is where I got baffled because I knew what I wanted to say, but if what I want to say doesn't go along with the text of Scripture, I shouldn't be saying that. Would you agree with that statement? <laughs> okay, so I knew what I, I thought I wanted to say, but then I, when I started thinking about what I wanted to say, then I started realizing, wait a minute, I got a problem. Hence, hence the baffling. <laughs> okay, so ready, you ready to be baffled a little bit? Because I think what I wanted to say was, it's not how much you have that matters. Now, I'm going to go to Matthew. Most of these quotes are from Matthew. Matthew picked up on this more than the other gospel writers did, a particular thing that Jesus quite often said to his disciples. Let's go to Matthew 6.30. I'm going to go right through Matthew, several of them. Matthew 6.30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So the problem was that it was little. So suddenly I realized, wait a minute, their statement, I was going to pick apart their statement of increase our faith, but clearly Jesus here says, you got a problem of little faith. Now the word that's translated little might be helpful to point out that it, this little faith, the word that's translated little, quite often is translated few in number. So it kind of goes together, right? We, got, we don't have enough pieces of this faith. Give us some more pieces, right? Jesus is here telling me you just got a few pieces of faith. That's your problem. And suddenly, I was baffled at 6.37 a.m. I'm baffled. Wait a minute. I thought I was going to say this, but here's a problem. So my thinking needs to readjust. That's what we do. If I'm thinking something, and I'm convinced of it, but then I go to the scriptures, and it says something different, what needs to adjust? Again, I ask you, what needs to adjust? The scriptures are me. <laughs> me. Okay, and unfortunately it happened at 6.37 a.m. Let me share another one. This is not an isolated event. In the middle of a storm, the disciples are afraid. And Jesus says to them, Matthew 8.26, Why are you afraid, O you of, there it is again, little faith. And then he gets up and he says, winds, waves, stop. There's a great calm. And then they were even more afraid, by the way. In a different storm, Jesus tells a story of how the disciples went ahead of Jesus. And Jesus caught up with them. We didn't catch up with them in typical fashion. They got on one of their fishing boats and they started going across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says, I'll catch up. I would have thought, Jesus meant I'll get on another boat. Jesus kind of <laughs> changed that. They're out there in the middle of a storm. Jesus is catching up, but he's not on a boat. Does anybody know how he's catching up to them? He's walking on the water. They, again, are afraid, by the way. Peter, you love Peter. Peter's like, if that's really you, tell me to come out there. Right? Because they were like, I'm not sure that's him. Maybe that's a ghost. That's literally what they thought. That's not you. That is you. Tell me to come out. Jesus says, come on out. Peter steps on out. Can you imagine that? I'm trying to imagine. I know that that show, The Chosen, tried to picture this, but even, even that doesn't do justice. Of like, Can you imagine being in a storm in the middle of a huge lake? There's some depth there. And Jesus saying, come on out. And you going, 
Right? Can you just, ima- just imagine that? That would be awesome. I hope we get to do that in heaven. He starts walking out. Now, I would say that's some pretty amazing faith. He's on his way out. What happens? Anybody tell me? Which is so weird because if I'm in water and I sink, I don't just start sinking. <laughs> I'm like, bloop. Right? So what was that like? There's something weird going on there too, isn't there? Because if you just start sinking, whoa, hey, wait a minute. Oh, what? Like, that would be weird too. What did it feel like? That's what I really want to know. Did it feel like jello? Jesus reaches out to him and takes his hand. And what does he say to him? Oh, you of little faith. And then he makes this connection here. Why did you doubt? So there's something about little faith that maybe at this moment, in my attempt to unbaffle my baffled brain, when maybe this is connected, this doubting is connected to the little faith. Maybe when Jesus is saying little faith, he's not just saying it's tiny. There's something else going on. So I attempt to unbaffle my baffled brain. There's another point later in Matthew chapter 16 where there's a huge crowd of people. And Jesus starts bringing up bread. What do you bread? You've got some bread. We've got some bread. We need some bread for these people. And they're freaking out because there's no bread. And Jesus says to them, he's aware of their, why didn't you bring the bread, John? I don't remember which one it was now. You should have brought that. I didn't, I didn't know we needed bread, especially for 5,000 people. And Jesus tells them, oh, you of little faith. There's it again. There it is again. Why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Hmm. Well, let's be honest. Did they have bread? No. Not really. Not the kind that to give people and they pick it up in their hands. Now, you may be going, yeah, but there's a whole nother. I'm just saying, just on a surface level, they go, well, but I don't have any bread. And Jesus goes, why are, you, why are you arguing about not having bread? You have, you have little faith. No, we really don't have bread, Jesus. That's what I would have said. No, I don't think you understand, Jesus. I really have no bread. There's one more. There's a couple more that I could have gone to, but there's one more in Matthew I want to mention. I'm going to come back to this one later, but this one will launch us into, back into Luke. Matthew chapter 17. The disciples have gone out. They've been sent out. And there was a, a boy that they could not heal. And this person comes to Jesus and says, ask your disciples, would you heal the boy? Come to Hey, your disciples couldn't do it. Could you do it? And the disciples, after the whole event is over, because Jesus does it, after it's all over, Jesus goes to the disciples and he explains something to them because they go, why couldn't we do it? I mean, which would be a great question because if you had been out healing people, because they had been given that authority and they'd gone out and done it and there's been people that they'd been healing, it had happened, but this one, it didn't happen, that would be a legitimate question. Why? And Jesus' response to them is Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, which says, he said to them, Here's why you could not do that. Why could we not? Here's why. Because of your little faith. But then the baffling gets bigger. This one didn't help me. It's your little faith. But then he says this, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed. Now there's other places in the Bible where Jesus says the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. So... You got little faith. Now, when I was younger, I used to think, well, that's just insulting. You've got little faith. In fact, your faith is so little, it's smaller than the smallest thing I can think of. (laughs) Ouch. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. There's something else at work. In fact, we're going to go back to this passage in a little bit. There's something he said prior to this that even helps us understand this as well. But in this case, he answers them because you're a little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed... If you got the tiniest bit, 
You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I don't think Jesus is really interested in his disciples moving mountains. I think there's something else. He's making this. This is an illustration. There's nothing that can't be done with even the smallest amount of faith. Let's go back to Luke now. Remember, they said, increase our faith. Not as dumb of a statement as I originally thought after I went through Matthew and realized there's a lot of times where Jesus says, you got little faith. It makes sense that they'd say, give us more faith. Jesus, though, responds to them again in Luke chapter 17, verse 6. If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, that's a slightly different example of what can be done, different scenario, different statement. I can't blame them. I have kids at school where I have to tell the same thing over and over again in a lot of different contexts. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and there's a lot of contexts where he's brought this up. Here's another one. If you had faith like the grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, and the Greek word that's translated mulberry tree might have been a sycamore tree. The, the, the point is that the, the tree that he's referencing is a tree that had an enormous root system. usually lived for over 600 years. I mean, this is a big tree. You said to this tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, it would obey you. Again, as I'm going to say from Leon Morris, he said, Jesus is not suggesting that his followers occupy themselves with pointless things like transferring trees into the sea. Right? That's not what Jesus is pointing. He's not, he's not suggesting that. You know what? This would be a great pastime. You've been out there ministering, come back, and you just start moving trees to the sea. Right? That would be a great... No, he's not suggesting this pointless activity. He's saying... That nothing is impossible to faith. But can you see the dilemma? Do you see the baffling? Can you guys see the baffling a little bit? Well, is it that they need more? I mean, all these times where you're saying, you, what you're, you couldn't do it, little faith. You couldn't do it, little faith. Couldn't do it, little faith. Couldn't do it, little faith. Well, we need more faith. Uh, if you had this much, you'd be fine. Well, what are you trying to say? Hence the baffling. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 17. I want to increase the baffling. Can I increase the baffling a little bit more? I think this increased baffling might lead to an unbaffling. How many times have I said the word baffle today? A lot? Yeah, quite a bit. When I, when I upload, I'll, I'll get rid of all of them. Um, let's go back to that Matthew 17 passage because he says something else. Let's go back and read that backstory. I referenced it, but let's actually read it from the text. Matthew chapter 17, let's go back to verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. Here's this situation that's going on with my son. Have mercy on him. And here's the problem. Have mercy. Here's the problem. Seizures, terrible suffering, falling into the fire, falling into water. He goes on, verse 16. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. They couldn't do it. Could not heal him. Jesus answers. Now listen carefully to this answer, because I hope it would increase your baffling a little bit, but I'm going to use this as a, hopefully, to unbaffle ourselves. Jesus answered, oh, what's that next word? Faithless. The Greek word means zero faith, not little faith. Oh, you faithless and twisted generation. I don't believe he's talking, and the scholars that look at this, they don't believe he's talking to the crowd or to the man. They believe he's talking to the disciples who could not do this thing. He had given them authority to do it. They couldn't do it. And his response is, oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? Not to jump into what we talked about today, but those would be hard words to hear, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? Think about what we were talking about this morning in Sunday school. It's not very affirming. It kind of beats them up a little bit, doesn't it? You faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring them over here. I don't have time to get into what happens here, but there's an interesting 
reality to this particular set of seizures and illnesses. In this particular case, it's not always the case, but in this particular case, Jesus, to heal this boy, rebukes the demon. And it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. And now we get to what we shared earlier. The disciples came to him privately. Public rebuke, private question later. Why could we not cast it out? And then we get to that answer. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So which is it? Is it little faith or no faith? Which one is it? Is it little faith or no faith? Here, I'm going to ask it one more time. This time I just want you to say yes. Okay? Is it little faith or no faith? Jesus, in the same scenario, he describes the same situation using two different descriptions of this faith. The little faith that he's been saying, I think. Now, okay, so now before I go any further, I'm going to move into, in fact, I put it in all caps in my notes so I wouldn't forget. I'm going to move into an I think moment. Can I do that with you guys? Okay? Not declarative, but here's what I think. So as I wrestled through this, this morning, what, which one is it? Here's what I think. Here's what I'm going to propose to you. Feel free to wrestle with it yourselves as well. Let, let your baffling turn your hearts and your minds to Scripture and ask yourself the same questions. Here's my proposal to you. I think that what Jesus is representing here in the little faith is ultimately not a real or genuine faith at all. Okay? I think all those times when he's telling them little faith, it's not a genuine faith. Now, let me throw in here one of the reasons why I believe this. The word that's translated faith in the Bible, usually when we think of faith, we hear that English word faith, we think of a strong sense of trust. Isn't that what you usually think of when you think of faith? Right? I'm really, man, I'm really feeling strong. I think this is part of the, one of the confusing aspects of this because that is not what that word primarily means. Can a strong sense of trust be attached to what faith is? Yes, but is that primarily what faith really is when Jesus talks about faith? No. It can be there. It can be present. But that's not primarily what it is. The word faith that you see translated faith in the Bible, when it's translated as a verb instead of as a noun, that same word is translated believe. So there's a strong connection between believe and faith. Now, you may be going, okay, I'm with you so far. Let me give you a better use of the word faith to help you understand what it means. Have you ever heard someone say, they, they show you a big long statement of faith. Have you ever heard of that? We have one at this church. Most churches have a statement of faith. This is what we believe. It is not a statement of how I feel. It's a statement of what. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's another way we use the word faith, I think, more correctly. Somebody will say it's very similar to that one. Some will say, this is the Christian faith. You can use it in other contexts. You might say, this is the Islamic faith. If I switch it to that, this is the Islamic faith. I'm not talking about how strong somebody believes something. I'm talking about what they believe. I think a much better way of understanding and comprehending what faith is is if you forget for a moment the strong sense of trust and you realize that what Jesus is talking about is actually what you believe. Real faith is about what those beliefs are. Now, if you believe those things, you will most likely have a strong sense of trust in those things. Does that make sense? The problem with little faith is you're not believing the right things, which can be equated to faithlessness. Not believing the right things is a puny faith. Right? 
Now remember, I'm still in this I think moment. I'm proposing this to you. Feel free to take this, chew it up, spit it out if you like. I think that those statements about it, a little faith, you have a little faith, you have a little faith is really a declaration of this is not a good faith. It's, it's puny. There's a lot of examples of this in the Bible. In James chapter 2, James talks about if a man says he believes in God, he does well. But if you go up just before that, he says, if a man says he has faith, but does not have works, he says, can that faith save him? So the that, let me throw my I think words in there. Can that puny little faith save anybody? A faith that doesn't affect, if you've got this list of beliefs that doesn't affect how you live, is that even faith at all? No, that's the whole point of James chapter 2. Is that even faith? No. So what Jesus is talking about is not a genuineness of a sense of trust. It's about what you believe. Now, let me share some other passages of Scripture with you, okay? One of the challenges of having your sermon at 6.38 a.m. go bloop into two, then a lot of the, the application is on the other part of it, which is where we're going to get to. So, so next week, the big chunk of our application is going to be there because the next few verses is, is basically do. Right? Now go do. And in the context of that, what were they supposed to be doing that we just talked about from last week? Forgive. Now go do. How do we do that? We need increased faith. You just got to believe the right things. If you really believe what you need to believe about who God is, people that are able to forgive have been introduced to the God of the Bible. People who cannot, people who here forgive seven times in one day and go, I can't do that. The problem is not, you need to believe even harder. Like, I need to really. No, I think the problem is, you need to get to know God a little bit better. Because when you know who this God is and what he reveals about who he is, People who get to know who he is who he is, and the things that he does and why he does those things, those people that get to know who he is, forgiveness starts to flow out of that. Not as something I have to, I guess I'll forgive. Instead, it's, oh. Let, let me show you a couple other passages, and then we're gonna, I'm actually going to close this up today. Uh, I'm going to skip this next one. This is just a restating. I'll read it to you. Um, oh, I already read that to you. Matthew 21 is another one. Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt. Okay, faith, do not doubt. I think that doubting is not believing what's true. Right? You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, this is the story where Christ cursed a fig tree and they came back by and it's all withered. What you, and this is what Jesus tells them. If, if, you, if you believe what is true about God, not only will you do this, but you could say to this mountain, there it is again. Pick it up, go into the sea. And then he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. That's such a baffling thing. This trips so many people up. This connection between faith and answered prayer has anybody ever been tripped up by that has anybody ever thought my problem is i'm not believing hard enough maybe the real issue is if you're praying and you're not getting now james tells you you're not getting because you're asking a mist because you want to spend it on what you want but even that is in connection back to who this god is and if you're praying for something and god is not answering my recommendation is to take a step back and say, God, how am I looking at you wrong in this moment? Hebrews chapter 11, let's talk about faith for a minute. 
Faith is the assurance, the substance, as the King James says, the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's the, it's the, it brings to solidity things that you can't see. In fact, the very next verse after this says, for, for by it people of old receive their condemnation. Verse 3 actually says, by, it's by faith that we know that the world was made out of things that are not seen. There's a reality that's made real by belief. Believing what has been represented. Mark chapter 11, I want to go to one more. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 25, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, so all these times that he says this, moving mountains, moving trees, we're moving objects that don't normally move, all these times he said that it's always in conjunction with believing in God. Be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever I ask in prayer, believe that what you have received, it will be yours. But listen to what Mark throws in here in connection with this time Jesus talks about it. And I think you'll see a connection back to our original Luke passage. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. Here's that forgiveness thing again. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So now, the biggest point of application we're going to hit next week, but I'm going to introduce just one piece of application for right now as we get ready to take communion. If you're going, okay, let's go back to what Luke is about, forgiving. Seven times in a day when somebody just comes to you and says, I repent. That's hard. Give me faith. Here's my recommendation. You need to get to know Jesus. You say, well, I know Jesus. You need to get to know him. That level of forgiveness comes from knowing who he is. Because you have even a mustard seed size comprehension of who Jesus is. You can tell mountains to move and trees to move even those mountains of unforgiveness in your heart. And some of you, that's exactly what you have. You've got a mountain of unforgiveness in your heart, and every time somebody brings it up, brings up forgiveness, you go, that's impossible. No way. There was another word that could have slipped in there, right? Some of you throw that word in there when you're in the moment of being confronted for no way. Am I forgiven that? How in the world do we get there? I'm recommending to you, you you, got to get to know Jesus. Because if you have even a mustard seed size of comprehension of who Jesus is, that would be like telling trees to go to the sea. And that's precisely what some of you need to do. Let's forget, think about some miraculous thing in that sense. Let's Let's talk about the miraculous thing of what's lodged in your heart that needs to get out. If you're sitting here today with bitterness and unforgiveness, now if you go, well, what if this and what if this, what if this, what if this? There's there's a whole lot of what ifs about forgiveness that we could bring up. But let's just lay out a blanket example for you. Jesus Christ was on the cross. Was he guilty? Innocent. Was he treated rightly? No. Did they see him for who he really was? No. And when after they drove those nails in, after they had beat him, after they had scourged him and he was up on the cross, he has a conversation with the Father. Does anybody remember what one of those things is that he says in that moment? Yeah. Now, whatever conversation we have about what forgiveness looks like with us, there's at least some aspect of forgiveness that can happen before anybody else does anything else. Can you at least agree with that? There's some piece of forgiveness that you can have a conversation with the Father about when it comes to these people and what they're doing to you and what they've done to you. They could crucify you, and in Jesus' mind, he can look to the Father and say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
I'm going to have uh, the men that are distributing communion come up. After they distribute, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture because there's a passage of Scripture I want to take you to that introduces you to just mustard seed piece of who Jesus is. Now, if you're sitting here today, before I read this passage, if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know if I've got a mustard seed size. If you're sitting here today, though, and you're going, I'm convinced that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and my only hope is him. If you've got at least that piece right there, and you're putting your confidence in that, you may be sitting here going, I think the big mountain of bitterness is still sitting here. And we'll deal with that. He knows how to deal with that. But if you're sitting here today, I'm, I want to be on his side and what he calls us to do. And maybe you're just sitting here today, and you're going, increase my faith, and you're ready to hear what Jesus has to say about that response. I believe, help my unbelief then I encourage you to pick up that cup if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You say, I'm, I'm not, I don't know how. I don't know how I'm going to go that way, but I'm, I know that's the way I'm going. I know I'm not going anywhere else. I know there's nobody else out there that I'm going to follow. I'm following him. I don't quite get it, but I know I'm going this way. And you're saying, I'm all in. Whatever that ends up meaning for me, then I encourage you to say, okay, I'm in. If you're here today and you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I encourage you, when this comes around, to grab that bread and cup. Now, hold on to it. I want to read a passage of Scripture, and then we're going to partake together the way Paul tells us to, okay? Um, Men, if you could go ahead and come up. I'm going to have you guys distribute after I pray. Heavenly Father, I ask now a blessing on this bread and this cup. Lord, we know that it does not change its substance when we pick it up and we hold it in our hands, Lord, but we do know and believe that it represents who you are. And that physical body that you had when you came to this earth and you died on that cross and you shed your blood, Lord, we know that this is to remember those things. Lord, I pray right now that you bless this bread and this cup and bless all those who pick up as it passes by. I pray this in Christ's name. All right, before we partake, and you can keep playing if you want, um, I'm going to read to you just a mustard seed glimpse of Jesus. Long ago, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God, he, has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he, Jesus, created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, where'd that happen? On the cross. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Did he ever say that to angels? No. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Angels are winds and a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, this is God speaking to the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is just a mustard seed piece of this Jesus who came to this earth, walked the dirt, was the same one whose throne is, oh God, forever and ever. Your throne, oh God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Every single thing you can see with your eyes will wear out. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. This same God who will roll up all of reality told you, forgive. Forgive. That forgiveness is rooted in his own physical suffering and sacrifice. So if you're sitting here today and you've got a mountain of bitterness in your heart or a tree rooted of unforgiveness deep, know first who he is. The penalty for the wrong done to you has been suffered more greatly by Christ than by you, right? And the wrong that that person did that hurt you, the wrong that they did that hurt you, did Christ not suffer for sin across the globe? Who are you to demand a thing other than of yourself and to forgive in Christ. Who are you to not do that? Paul the Apostle states, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered for you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, that didn't steer him off his course of dying for the sins of the world, most of us, a betrayal would steer us off our course, would it not? Any good I was about to do, I just got betrayed, forget it, pal. Christ, the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And he gave thanks to God. And he broke it. Can you picture him doing that with his disciples? One of whom would be the betrayer. He broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. The same way also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and will he, until he comes. 
Heavenly Father, as we close today, I just want to thank you again, Lord, for your greatness and the reality of all that you are. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those in this room right now that have a mountain, a huge mountain, a Mount Everest of wrong done to them, of sins done to them. Lord, I pray that before anything else happens, they would speak with that mustard grain of faith that you're going to roll up reality and stow it away and recreate it one day. With that knowledge, I pray that you'd help those in this room with that mountain to just say, get up and get out of here. For those with that tree that's rooted deep of bitterness, in spite of all other things, I pray that today would be the day that they just simply say, and even if they have to do it every day for the rest of their lives, because it keeps coming back, let today, at least for a moment, today be that first time that they say, you, sycamore tree that's making me sick, get out of here. Go to the sea. Get sunk in it. I pray that you'd help them to do this with their eyes, not on the wrongdoer, not on the sin, not on their own hurt, but their eyes fixed firmly on the Jesus who created all things, upholds all things by the word of his power, keeps the existence of all things together, upholds by his power and strength those who would hurt him and kill him. He kept their molecules together while they did it. Lord, with our eyes on that Jesus, let us say with Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, they know not what they did. Lord, in your bigness, I cast this tree, this mountain. I end this thought, Lord, for those in this room that are going to attempt to do that today in their mustard seed faith. Let it be done. In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys are dismissed.